Okay, look, so last week got like a little bit silly. And I'll be honest, I didn't really have a plan for this week. After you've spent several days living, breathing, and dreaming Chris content, your brain tends to go a little blank. Or it can only produce Chris-related content. Like, last night I had a dream about Chris Evans, and it wasn't even a sexy dream. He was just talking to me about where to find bananas in a grocery store. And then the room started to fill with water. Did I mention I dream about sharks a lot? Because I do. Uh, anyway, if you have no idea why I'm talking about guys named Chris, please listen to last week's episode about definitive Chris rankings. Uh, you won't need it for anything other than the minute or so that it takes me to get through the intro, but I'd sure appreciate it. <laughs> But the point is that while I was writing the Chris episode, I was like, wow, there are so many Marvel movies. It's not even that I haven't been paying attention. Like, I've seen most of them, even if they do all start to kind of blend together at one point. But there are like 20 of them. And that's not even including the various Spider and X-Men related content that just sort of spontaneously regenerates in a new timeline every three years or so. I think anytime you get over like three in-universe movies, you're starting to push it, you know? And I say that as someone who has seen many of the 36 iterations of Godzilla, most of the 11 Halloween movies, and every single one of the nine feature-length films in the Fast and Furious universe. Anyway, with that in mind, I thought we could take a look at the Marvel franchise. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I realize that that intro makes me sound like a bit of an old fart, but if you've listened to any of this podcast at all, you know that I'm willing to fight to the death for bad cinema and people's right to enjoy it. I love to sit in the dark with all the beautiful faces and watch my stories and drink a Coke the size of my face. It is my life's greatest pleasure. <laughs> Within reason, I don't think it has to be that deep, and while I can appreciate the finer aspects of artistically driven filmmaking, sometimes things can just be enjoyable without being art, and that's fine. All this is to say that I quite like the Marvel movies as a whole, uh, with the exception of some of the hugely bloated final films like Endgame or Infinity War, uh, or some of the ones where it was excessively obvious that they were trying to link an overarching plot together. But it turns out that a bunch of quite famous directors think that film is dying, and more specifically that they think that the Marvel franchise is killing filmmaking as a whole. Now, just between you and me, at my core, I am also a wanker. So on some levels, art matters to me. Yes, I contain multitudes, and if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. Uh, but more importantly, as much as I love movies, I hate the money-making machine with an undying passion. <laughs> Which means that even while I have seen just so many Vin Diesel movies, I do worry a little bit about this endless repetition of, like, hero movies and that it somehow means that we're, like, losing the ability to write or understand other types of stories or something. Or maybe it means nothing. Who knows? Certainly not me. So today, I thought we could take a look at how the Marvel Cinematic Universe started, uh, what, if anything, separates it from other big franchise movies, and what the film landscape looks like in actuality. So, uh, where to start? 
I think to look at Marvel's supposed cinematic dominance now, you have to spend some time looking at how it got started and the strategy that built it into what it is. Essentially, pretty early on, Marvel realized that they were playing with a pretty expansive cast of characters, many of whom had overlapping storylines in the comic book universe. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to find an entry point into, like, actually reading the comics, but there are so many ways to approach it. Uh, Like, I'm pretty sure at one point the universe got blown up by a bad guy and split into, like, a bunch of different worlds and timelines, and one of them is just Hulk's. Uh, for that's from memory, don't quote me. So if you're kind of new to it, it can be difficult to find a jump-off point without a little guidance. And because the IP is retained by the company rather than the artist, a lot of the stories feel as though they have very different approaches to the character. But the beauty of superheroes is that no matter how silly they get, at their core, they're old stories. Proper good versus evil old gods stuff. In some cases, like with Thor, they're literally old gods. (laughs) And audiences love those stories, which means that Marvel knew that they were sitting on a goldmine. The question then became what to do with that (laughs) goldmine. Marvel were pretty unhappy with the returns that they were getting out of their licensing agreements with companies like Sony and Fox, which generated properties like Spider-Man and X-Men. They raised a bunch of capital and formed Marvel Studios as an independent film studio with the idea of using the properties that weren't already licensed out, like Avengers, to regain creative control and grow the brand. And I assume also make a bunch more money. Uh, But also the the creative integrity thing. Uh, Anyway... (laughs) Starting with Iron Man in 2008, uh, the studio began releasing two films a year, roughly, sometimes more, uh, with the idea of having one based on an existing character and one introducing a new character. All the films would tie together into an overarching plot, culminating in two huge ensemble cast movies, uh, Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, or maybe the other way around. Anyway, Uh, There was also a tie-in TV series that added additional pieces to the universe and fleshed out the story more broadly. Uh, The movies were released in three phases that tied up some pieces of the plot while building into the bigger whole. The idea is that for the most part, the films can be viewed as standalone or bigger pieces of a whole. Now, franchises aren't new, but Marvel's approach is pretty unique among them. There's a thing I call the Harry Potter effect, um, which is where franchises will split a big finale into two. I call it the Harry Potter effect because it's the first instance that I can think of where the final book from like source material was split into two films to allegedly tell the story more completely. You can't see me, I'm doing air quotes. But really, it was to make more money out of the source material. You can see similar things at play with Twilight and, more recently, The Hobbit, which is a small and concise story that was split into three films for some reason. Money. Anyway, (laughs) uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or the MCU, is this idea, but all hopped up on steroids and a fat injection of studio cash. They've taken source characters in the Avengers and effectively split story arcs across 20 films and a TV series. Studio head Kevin Feige, who also serves on the studio's six-person creative board, who are responsible for maintaining the integrity of the characters from comic book to screen, 
says it's never been done before and that's kind of the spirit everyone's taking it in. The other filmmakers aren't used to getting actors from other movies that other filmmakers have cast, certain plot lines that are connected or certain locations that are connected. I think everyone was on board for it and thinks that it's fun. Now, he's not wrong. It's a pretty unique way to approach filmmaking. It's essentially like it's a TV series where you have a showrunner and people are allowed to kind of come in and play in the universe, but always within reason, like a very defined set of rules. I've done a bit of a rewatch of some of the films in the lead up to writing this, and I will say there are some portions of the movies that feel like the recap section of a television episode where you go back and check in on some of the side characters, but before ultimately returning to the main sort of characters and their overarching story. And with that in mind, it can make some of the standalone films that introduce specific characters like Thor or Ant-Man feel like those sort of side quest episodes that you get in some TV series where it's like, there's enough audience interest in the main character's sidekick Time for an episode where we examine his relationship with his mum. And that's actually one of the criticisms that's been levelled at the MCU, that this kind of TV-like approach to cinema has actually been to the detriment of the films themselves, and that the further you get into them, the less able the films are to stand alone. 20 films is essentially a TV season, uh, and starting in the middle leaves you lost. Depending on how you approach it, the trademarks of a new era of prestige TV appearing in cinema might not be the worst thing that's ever happened. People love TV, so what's the problem with bringing a little bit of that continuity and storytelling power to the big screen? Well, uh, there is a fear among several prominent filmmakers that Marvel's dominance as a cultural product is going to make it more difficult to make and promote other types of films. And that in doing so, we lose cinema as an art form. Reading the Martin Scorsese op-ed in the New York Times, he says two things that really stood out to me. The first is about the repetitive nature of the films themselves. So he says, they are sequels in name, but they are remakes in spirit. And everything in them is officially sanctioned because it can't really be any other way. That's the nature of modern film franchises. Market researched, audience tested, vetted, modified, re-vetted and re-modified until they're ready for consumption. Now, the part of me that loves big and stupid blockbuster movies hates the but is it art argument because of course it isn't and like it doesn't have to be, you know? Cinema is entertainment. Entertainment entertains. It doesn't need to be artistic. And the art history dweeb in me is a little bit like a bit pretentious of uh, Scorsese to assume his work is art and that when he's made only one good movie. Uh, It's The Last Waltz, by the way, which he made in 1978. uh, And it's largely good because of the charming cast of the documentary and not necessarily because of any cinematic prowess. And no, I will not be taking questions on this. But my spidey senses uh, tell me that some film kids might be mad at me about the Scorsese opinion. So for the sake of a coherent point, uh, let's acknowledge that art is subjective. Ignore the fact that Scorsese declaring himself an artiste is deeply irritating to me. uh, And get to the bit that does actually concern me. Despite my enjoyment of the MCU and my willingness to embrace some of the standalone films as like genuinely fantastic watching, my worry is that they do often tell the same story. 
And because we look for ourselves in the media that we consume, the prevalence of franchising means the actual danger of having a monopoly on storytelling lies not in the death of art, but in a decline in visual literacy and an embrace of the oversimplified morality that these kinds of stories sell. An emotionally or morally complex story is a much harder sell to test audiences. Sometimes Marvel tries to fold in shades of grey, Uh, Like in Captain America Civil War, for example, the team fights each other over how to handle the Avengers, with one side arguing for international oversight of superhero goings-on and Captain America taking an anti-big government stance in a classic libertarian move. Look, I'm I'm sorry I called the Cap a libertarian, but rewatch that movie and tell me that I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, anyway, a lot of the emotional weight of the scenario is mitigated by the fact that the actual fights are broken up by the comedic stylings of Tom Holland as Spider-Man and Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. All the problems with each other are mostly resolved by the end to clear the way for further in-universe plot developments. Other times they have been more successful, like I think Thor Ragnarok uh, manages to sneak in some really complex thoughts on colonialism and Indigenous cultural continuity throughout, but I also think that that's largely down to the genius of director Taika Waititi. And I think he's been allowed to get away with that in the context of this particular franchise because he is so overwhelmingly funny. Ragnarok has enough visual gags in it and enough easy humour that any complexity can be ignored if you want. Now, obviously, there's a matter of genre, People don't necessarily go to superhero movies wanting emotional complexity. You're not in Captain America expecting August Osage County, you know? But if the Marvel Cinematic Universe is so prominent that those are the only films that people are seeing, are those the only stories that they're getting? And are they able to develop a literacy beyond the black and white, good versus evil piece that Disney's trying to sell them? I think to answer that, you have to look at what's actually in the cinema versus what people are watching. Scorsese says that in many places around this country and around the world, franchise films are now our primary choice if you want to see something on the big screen. And it's a perilous time in film exhibition, and there are fewer independent theatres than ever. Now, Vox has done an excellent deep dive into the actual numbers from the end of last year when the final MCU films were released. To summarise, Marvel films, Disney remakes and franchises made up the top 10 highest earners for 2019, but represented a small percentage of the overall films in market. But people came to see them in droves, and that's largely because of Marvel's marketing strategy. They're big events that leave you kind of adrift if you don't participate, and that's something that mid-sized films are yet to nail down. The Motion Picture Association reports that the average moviegoer bought five movie tickets in 2018. And to quote the Vox article, if the moviegoer saw all the Marvel movies that year, that leaves room on the table for two more movies. Say they want to see Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins, and then there's only one left, maybe for Game Night and the indomitable (laughs) Rachel McAdams. Going to the movies is expensive, and I know from working in customer service for a cinema chain that most people view their trips to the movies as, like, an event. It's like a special treat. At least that's how I justify the amount of verbal abuse I copped on the phones, but anyway. 
Uh, Marvel has created this atmosphere of theatricality around the franchise. Like, you need to see it in the cinema so that you can see it without spoilers and on a huge screen the way it was meant to be seen. It can be the event and the special treat that you expect because it's huge and loud and fun. Now, I know I'm not a good gauge for this type of thing because I will watch anything and everything and I definitely buy more than five movie tickets a year. But if that's how you approach a cinema night, then there's less motivation to see something small and character-driven that probably feels just the same on a small screen. So while it's undeniable that people are less inclined to see mid-sized films at the cinema, does that really mean that less of them are being made overall? The Vox article quotes several directors, including the Russos who directed the Marvel finales, who believe that they've had difficulty making the character-driven pieces that they want to return to. But like I said, Marvel and the other huge franchise films represent a reasonably small overall percentage of total films released, which means that mid-sized films are being made, they're just being marketed less and pulling smaller crowds. And that's not really the audience's fault. People have drifted slowly towards streaming services for a lot of their media, and studios haven't really worked out how to combat that or if it needs to be combated at all or instead adopted as like an actual marketing strategy. Which means that realistically, people are probably watching different types of stories and even consuming the things that Scorsese thinks have artistic and cultural value. They're just choosing to do it in the comfort of their own home. Returning specifically to Marvel for an example, the comic books have a pretty rich and expansive history which means that once they move beyond their initial good versus evil iteration on the page, the stories and characters become more emotionally complex. There's a lot of scope to incorporate that into their studio output, and you start to see it in small screen adaptations like Jessica Jones. Now, Jessica Jones is an alcoholic superhuman who's dealing with a history of domestic abuse from a man who can literally control people just by talking to them and the long-term impact that that abuse has had on her interpersonal relationships. It's a bleak show with some genuinely unlikable characters on all sides, Uh, but it's also a great example of the fact that these stories aren't necessarily as uniform as Scorsese would have us believe. If we give Marvel the benefit of the doubt, then it could be argued that the more familiar audiences are with the characters that exist in the Marvel Universe and how the Marvel Universe operates then the more scope they have to actually make diverse adaptations on the big screen. I'm loath to mount a defense of a money-making machine like Marvel because it doesn't actually need defending. It's a hugely popular form of entertainment that's both commercially and critically successful. It's not at risk of being plunged into darkness just because Scorsese thinks it's bad. But I do really dislike this notion of cinema being some high art medium that needs to be shielded from things that are popular with the general public. It's an enduring medium that enjoys its success because people engage with it. It needs people to engage with it to continue. Uh, so those are some Marvel thoughts not all of them uh, but hopefully this episode has been enough to exercise my Chris related demons 
Uh, if you have any superhero opinions or opinions on whether cinema is in fact high art, uh, hit me up next time you see me at the pub. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>